Good morning. This is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. Good morning. Oh, God. It is 8.44 a.m. Central Standard Time. It is March the 4th, 2019. And it is 12 degrees outside, people. 12. Count them. All one, two degrees of outside weather. Oh, my God. I woke up this morning and it was like 10. Wow, man. Wow. And that coldness cannot even contend with the foulness that Stop and Decrypt keeps sending me. Oh, my God. I had to finally finally cut... Cut ties with with what was going on with Stop and Decrypt because he kept sending me examples of Francis Coppola singing about economics and economic situations, like singing to Hammerstein about Brexit. And it's just awful. Oh, my God, it's so bad. It's so bad. I was just watching this woman set up her, you know, turn on her camera and start playing the piano and singing about Brexit and leftists. And, oh, you know, it wouldn't be so bad if every time she did, you know, she tweeted, it wasn't something about trashing Bitcoin, but enough about Francis. We're going to see her later during the daily train wreck. I promise. Let's get into the morning roundup. Oh, where are we? Where are we? Where are we? Uh, Janine of, um, uh, at J nine R O E M, um, says director of institutional sales at Coinbase praising neutrinos best in class technology and saying that they needed to migrate to another provider because their previous one was selling client data to outside sources. And of course she gives a link, uh, to the video where, uh, uh, Oh, what's her face. I can't remember who their, uh, who their director of institutional sales is in either event. Um, you can go watch it if you want. Um, I, I, I can't stomach much more after, after Francis. Um, Oh God. So Janine was really hitting this shit out of the park. And if you don't know who she is, she's one of the people on the block digest, uh, YouTube channel. And they do like, God, they, they, they do like some marathon runs. Uh, I think the shortest I've ever seen them do is just under an hour. And I think that was one time. Um, anyway, so Janine's part of that and she's real sharp. Uh, she is a, she's really, really sharp. If you're not following her again, it's at J nine R O E M. This is actually part of a thread that's, uh, pretty long. Um, it is, uh, an ongoing thread that she's had for a while about the, the, <laughs> the maniacal stuff going on over at Coinbase. 
um, give, give it a read. Uh, so what is she talking about? Um, let me get into this CCN.com, uh, head or, um, uh, news article. Coinbase sought Neutrino after losing control over customer data being sold. So this is sort of what Janine's talking about um, in a a little bit more digested of a manner. Let's get into this thing. Uh, This was, let me give the date first. This was yesterday. Yeah. Uh, March the 3rd, 2019. Coinbase's controversial acquisition of Neutrino was motivated by a desire to ditch its existing tech partners because they were, quote unquote, actually selling client data to outside sources, end quote, the head of sales at Coinbase said on Saturday. In an interview with Cheddar, Coinbase's Christine Sandler, okay, that's it, explained the rationale for buying Neutrino, a blockchain intelligence firm whose founders used to build hacking tools to sell to the police. <laughs> a lot more than just the police. My God, people. Um Quote, we, we are aware of the backgrounds of some of the folks that were involved in Neutrino, and we are looking into that. Mm-hmm. I think the compelling reason for making the acquisition was that Neutrino really had some industry-leading best-in-class technology. And moreover, it was really important to us to migrate away from our current providers. Our current providers were actually selling client data to outside sources. It was really compelling for us to kind of get control over that and have proprietary technology that we could leverage to keep the data safe and to protect our clients. All right, I'm going to stop right there before I go on just to say the following. You're not, it's done. Okay. You're, 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 when you say the sentence, we could leverage or uh, have proprietary technology that we could leverage to keep the data safe and protect our clients. That's already over. You, you did not protect your clients. You did not keep the data safe. It's not like you can just like spin, spin up some kind of freaking time machine, go back in time and stop this shit from occurring. It's already happened. It happened on y'all's watch. Y'all knew about it. And there's some other, uh, there's some things about the fact that they, you know, knew about it and didn't tell the customers until literally on Saturday, you know, just a, like a couple of days ago. This is ridiculous. That anybody who accepts this as any kind of explanation is not actually reading the goddamn paragraph. Sorry for the language. I'm, I really am, but this this one pisses me off. To think that you can make this this statement that oh well everything's going to be fine now because you know all the, these these mean people were doing bad things with your data and it's like no you you. you People entrusted you with their data. You didn't give a crap about it. And now it's completely out in out in the open. And the only way these dick cheeses are going to be able to do anything about it is to, quote unquote, protect the newcomers coming into the space. As you bleed out from the femoral artery, all the people that are hashtag delete Coinbase. So I guess you're going to protect all the Ripplers that are going to come in. Is that it? You're going to protect... Everybody from what now on and until what these guys with the shadiest background in internet history, um, while they, while you hand the data to them, because what you weren't satisfied with, with dipshits selling it. So now you got to give it to somebody who's lawful evil. Are you kidding me? Oh God, it just, it's, it's freaking amazing. Okay. Anyway, so 
on with the on with the article. CCN has reached out to Coinbase seeking clarification as to which vendors sold Coinbase customer data, how long this went on, and whether or not customer data is now fully in Coinbase's control. Coinbase has not responded as of publication time Sunday evening. They, you're no, it's done. It's already done. Yeah, I. Sorry. Okay. Neutrino bills itself as a go-to analytics platform for helping law enforcement agencies and financial institutions keep track of transactions on the blockchain. Previously, Neutrino CEO Giancarlo Russo, CTO Alberto Ornaghi, and CRO Marco Valeri used, used to ply their wares as cyber gurus for a firm known as Hacking Team. On its website, the hacking team says, we believe that fighting crime should be easy. We provide effective, easy-to-use, offensive technology. <laughs> wow, man. God, y'all, y'all, y'all needed a new PR person. <clears throat> offensive technology to the worldwide law enforcement and intelligence communities. On the solutions page of the hacking team's website, the company sheds light on the nature of the tools that are being sold to governments around the world. Quote, Criminals and terrorists rely on mobile phones, tablets, laptops, and computers equipped with universal encryption to hide their activity. Their secret communications and encrypted files can be critical to investigating, preventing, and prosecuting crime. Hacking Team provides law enforcement an effective, easy-to-use solution. Hacking Team's most most secret client list reportedly includes Mexico, Oman, Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, Bahrain, Ethiopia, Nigeria, Sudan, and others. In some instances, the hacking team's tools have apparently been deployed to spy on journalists and dissidents instead of criminals. On its About Us page, hacking team notes that its technology is used daily to fight crime in six continents. Supporting good faith efforts to prosecute crime sounds reasonable enough. Different countries adhere to unique criminal codes, though. Speaking out against the government is legal in many countries, but not in others. For instance, Saudi Arabia has imprisoned women's rights activists, journalists, and government critics. And in late 2017, Riyadh passed an anti-terrorism law that tied certain nonviolent political and religious speech with prison time, according to a report by Freedom House. Saudi al Gahanati, sorry, I'm never going to be able to pronounce that. Head of the Center for Set, uh, Studies and Media Affairs in the Saudi capital, capital has reportedly been one of hacking team's clients. Quote, Katani, I'm going to, yeah, Katani, I'm just going to say Katani and his cyber colleagues worked at first with an Italian company called Hacking Team, the Washington Post's David Ignitus reported in December, citing, quote, many knowledgeable sources who requested anonymity to discuss sensitive intelligent matter- matters. Katani worked with Hacking Team as he built a network of surveillance and social media manipulation to advance MBS's agenda and suppress his enemies, the Washington Post report notes. In 2012, the United States Drug Enforcement Administration spent $2.4 million on Hacking Team's remote control system, which lets government agents remotely access communications data on a device. So there you go for that one. Again, it cannot be reiterated enough times that there is no getting that data back. 
whoever was a customer of Coinbase, and that's myself included because that's how I was on-ramped before they turned into this festering pile that they have uh, become. Uh, so, you know, now all, you know, any data that I gave them is out in the open. And once it's out in the open, it's it's not coming back. They're not going to get control over it. It's already been copied, sold, copied again, resold, sold again, and then probably sold. And it's probably going to get sold again tomorrow, if not later on today. So, yeah, that once that cat's out of the bag, there's you, you should not start pretending like you're going to be able to fix it. It's broke. It's going to remain broke, and it will be broke for the rest of eternity. And the only way for any of us that got compromised to get unbroke is to move. So maybe change our name, possibly get a new uh, social security number if that's even that's and that's not that's impossible unless you're in some serious, serious problems in, in the United States courts agree that it's OK for you to change your social security number. But yeah, short of that. Nah, man, it's gone. It's gone forever. So there's that one. Uh, this one kind of continues with that. Uh, this is. Uh, Cointelegraph.com, delete Coinbase, exchange users respond to acquisition of a firm run by former spyware developers. Now, I pretty much read this, this thing is from uh, Stephen O'Neill, and it was written yesterday as well. It kind of rehashes what we just went over, but there's a section here that I want to read called Community and Coinbase Reaction. <laughs> okay. Soon after Coinbase announced its acquisition, crypto community members started to point out the Neutrino was founded by hacking team's former employees. <clears throat> Quote, when I said it would be a great to have more InfoSec people involved in the crypto space, I didn't mean the largest U.S. exchange should acquire an, an analysis tools company run by a former hacking team member, but here we are. <laughs> Oh my God, that's uh, and that was uh, Amber Bidette, co-founder and CEO of startup Clover and former lead at J.P. Morgan Chase's Blockchain Center for Excellence. Around t- February 20th, crypto community members kicked off the hashtag delete Coinbase, which has amassed hundreds of tweets as of press time. Interestingly, Coinbase has commented on the issue, admitting that they knew about Neutrino's roots. By February 26th, the exchange spokesperson told Motherboard that his firm does not condone nor will defend the actions of Hacking Team, adding, quote, We are aware that Neutrino's co-founders previously worked at Hacking Team, which we reviewed as part of our security, technical, and hiring diligence, end quote. The Coinbase representative further explained that Neutrino's technology basically seemed too good to be ignored. Quote, increasingly third-party blockchain analysis companies are requesting customer data from cryptocurrency companies that they serve. It was important for Coinbase to bring this function in-house to fully control and protect our customers' data, and Neutrino's technology was the best we encountered in the space to achieve its goal. Now I'm going to stop right there for a sec. Remember, at this point, this dude knew that all of Coinbase's data already got sold, if not all of it a lot of it enough, enough that you should be pissed off about it. Okay. So when this statement is being made, it's not being made in good faith because there is no way to protect the customer's data any longer. The customer's data, like we, like I said, is already out in the open. 
It's not coming back home. It's not a fucking carry, carrier pigeon, y'all. Okay? It's gone. There is no protecting. There, there is no protection. It's that, that's over. That ship sailed. And this guy's making this statement. I wouldn't trust this company or anybody who works there as far as I could throw them. Moving on. On March 1st, Christine Sandler, Coinbase's Director of Institutional Sales, expanded on that statement in an interview with Cheddar. First, she confirmed that her company was aware of Neutrino's connection to hacking team, but wanted to employ their technology nonetheless. We are aware of the backgrounds of some of the folks that were involved in Neutrino, and we are looking into that. The compelling reason for making the acquisition was that Neutrino had some really had some really industry-leading and best-in-class technology. Notably, Sandler also admitted that previous providers of Coinbase were selling their customer data. Good God. You know, it's just watching these watching these people just fall over each other, not understanding what's going on around them is just kind of sad, really. Um so the last part of this is that, prob- you know, and we've known this for a while, but let's see what uh, Cointelegraph has to say about it. Users struggling to delete accounts. While the number of people who have actually deleted their Coinbase accounts during the Delete Coinbase campaign is unknown at the moment, some users have reported having technical problems with deactivation. Many of those complaints revolve around the fact that in order to close a Coinbase uh, account, a user is required to have zero balance. Therefore, those users who have dust tiny amounts of cryptocurrencies left from previous transactions in their accounts are allegedly unable to send to an external wallet because the amount is too small to send. As a Coinbase spokesperson explained to Motherboard, those limits have been introduced to ensure the fees incurred when sending money over the blockchain are covered. That issue has prompted Coinbase users to start yet another hashtag, Delete Coinbase Trust Chain. And we went it, uh, went into that, I, I believe we talked about that. I talked about that on Friday. But in case you missed it, essentially it helps the, the exchange's clients to coordinate the exchange dust in order to close their accounts. The hashtag was initiated by independent developer Udi Wertheimer and resembles a play on LN Trust Chain, a hashtag used by crypto enthusiasts who send small portions of their funds via the Lightning Network uh, Trust Chain, uh, Wertheimer said. Before I get to what he said, it's important to note that I wish people that bring up LN Trust Chain would at least mention Hodelnot. You know, I mean, it was his idea after all. So in, I, I just, come on guys, if you, if you're going to talk about LN trust chain, at least, at least mention Hodel not, if you're going to mention the creator of a, a of another type of, of trust chain. Okay. It's seems only fair. Uh, you know, it's at least, it, it seems like it's just good journalistic etiquette. Okay, that's all I'm saying. So Wertheimer says, quote, I hope that this message makes Coinbase understand that a press release won't fix this. No, no shit. This need or they need to disassociate themselves from hacking team if they have any hope of earning people's trust again. I don't know if this can happen. So the alternative is that people at least know about it and get to decide for themselves, end quote. Moreover, some users claim that they can't close their accounts even if their balance is free of dust. For instance... Singapore-based Twitter user Saifuddin Jalil, Jalil, Saifuddin Jalil, 
argues that his Coinbase account has had no funds for more than a year, but he still can't close it down. He has allegedly contacted Coinbase support and asked him to delete his private information, to which the exchange replied that they won't be able to complete his request within 30 days of receipt due to its complexity. Similar difficulties were reported by other users. You can't delete my private information due to complexity. Yeah. GFY. My God almighty, these people. Okay. So last, uh, or yeah, that's going to do it for all that BS. Um, <laughs> let's get into some, some other cool stuff though. Kroger grocery stores is hammering visa, hammering the crap out of visa. Uh, this actually started, I guess on March 1st. Uh, but the one that I've got, I've got a USA Today article here that is Kroger expands ban on visa credit cards to Smith foods and drug stores in seven States. So for those of you who don't know, Smith's food and drug is another brand that is owned by Kroger, you know, much like, uh, United Supermarkets are, is actually owned by Albertsons, right? Because they, they bought them. So now uh, Kroger, who have been banning Visa credit cards in uh, use in their stores because of high fees, are now starting to expand that to its other brands. And Smith's is not a small brand by any stretch of the imagination. Let's get, this, is a, this is by Mike, Mike, Mike Snyder. And Alexander Coolidge of USA Today Network published March the 1st. Yeah. Okay. Supermarket chain Kroger, which last year banned Visa credit cards in its food food company stores, is expanding its ban to 250 Smith's food and drugstore locations in seven states. A division of Cincinnati-based Kroger, Smith's has 142 supermarkets and 108 fuel centers in Utah, Nevada, New Mexico, Wyoming, which doesn't exist, and Idaho, Montana, and Arizona that will no longer accept Visa cards starting April 3rd. Oh, man, just bam. Kroger, the nation's largest grocer, banned Visa credit cards in August at at its food <coughs> Foods Co. stores in California to keep to save on fees paid to Visa to process credit card purchases. Kroger has now banned credit cards to payments at two divisions. The supermarket chain operates nearly 200 or 2,800 supermarkets under several regional subsidiaries in 35 states, including its namesake Kroger stores and Harris Teeter, Ralph's, Fry's, King Supers, and Fred Mayer stores. While the majority of its stores continue to accept Visa credit cards, the company said in its announcement Friday that it continues to explore options to reduce its so-called swipe fees paid to credit card companies. These fees, which can range range between 1% and 3%, add up to $90 billion that retailers pay annually, according to Bloomberg. Quote, we're not going to stand for these high fees, says Mike Schlotman, Kroger's chief financial officer. He declined to spell out Visa's fee structure with Kroger, but noted Visa sometimes charges Kroger's twice as much as other cards. Schlotman said the band was launched at a small California subsidiary to figure out how to handle such a boycott should Kroger decide to expand it elsewhere. He would not rule out continued expansion of the band. 
Quote, we are prepared to take additional steps to reduce the cost of accepting credit cards in order to keep prices low for customers, Schlotman said. No option is off the table. Visa has been misusing its position and charging retailers excessive fees for a long time, Schlotman said in a statement announcing the action. They conceal from customers what Visa and its banks charge retailers to accept Visa credit cards. At Smith's, Visa credit card fees are higher than any other credit card brand that we accept. Visa's excessive fees and unfairness cannot continue to go unchecked. Kroger and Visa have been negotiating about the fee structure for months but made no progress, Schlotman said. Visa noted the significant value retailers get from its network in a statement to USA Today. Quote, it is unfair and disappointing that Kroger is putting shoppers in the middle of a business dispute. We have put forward a number of solutions to allow our cardholders to continue using their preferred Visa cards at Foods Co. and Smith's without Kroger-imposed restrictions, and we continue to work toward a resolution. Smith stores will accept all debit cards, including Visa debit cards, as well as MasterCard, American Express, and Discover credit cards. Smith's employs more than 20,000 associates and operates 55 stores in Utah, 45 stores in Nevada, 23 in New Mexico, 7 in Wyoming, which, I, does anybody know where that is? And four stores each in Idaho, Montana, and Northern Arizona. Quote, to help our customers through this transition, we have great offers inside our Smith stores today, including double rewards points towards fuel purchases and other promotions to save on groceries. Kenny Kimball, president of Smith, said in a statement, Smith's double fuel reward promotion runs through May 21st. Oh, God. Even, even in the midst of all this, it's like never never miss an opportunity to to start a sale, right? I mean, my yeah, heavens to Murgatroyd. <laughs> okay. So there's a, there's a couple of interesting things about this is that I'm a, I'm really surprised that visa fees are higher than American express because it was American express that started raising their fees to the point that people stopped. They just stopped taking American express because they were like going, my God almighty, I can't, you know, I can't charge my customers, you know, to make up for this, which is by the way, people, they, the retailers have never been paying the fees. You pay the fees. Now it is true that the retailer themselves is actually the people that write the check. But at the end of the year, they look at that check that they wrote for visa. Well, of course they don't write one, they write many, but at the end of the year, they reconcile all the accounts. They look at how much they actually paid in these visa fees and they attach that to next year's pricing structure. If you don't think that they're doing that, then you're naive because they are doing that. However, what's going on here is that Kroger's is at this at this breaking point where they can no longer they they can no longer do that because these guys are on razor thin margins as it is. Walmart operates at sub 1% margins, which means that for every dollar that they sell in their stores, they'll be lucky to capture eight tenths of 1%, if not less. And think about how big Walmart is. All right. So once you get to this point, you know, you get to this point where the retailer can no longer attach, you know, like basically pass the fees on back into the customer through the pricing of his products. Because after a while, it gets to the point where now the products cost so much that people start looking for an alternative. And that's where I think that's where Kroger is right now. 
they're at this point where they're looking, you know, their CFO is looking and they're talking to the grocery store managers and they're looking at front end data. And that means that the, the data that comes in through the registers, when you check out all that shit's kept in a database, everything you bought, the time of day you bought it, what store you bought it from, all of this shit is, is part of what's called the front end data. And these people, there are bean counters that are really good at their job that figure out what it is they're going to be able to charge given all the data and they're at the limit. That's what's going on. People Kroger has, has reached their limit as to how much they can shave or how much they can put their margin at risk because of visa. And again, it's surprising because American express is the reason that visa and mastercard got so popular because Visa and MasterCard, when they first came out, it was like, eh, whoop de doo I have my American Express. Well, yeah, and then when they went up to like 6% fees and you paid three of it and the retailer paid three of it, uh, people wanted to stop using American Express unless they were going to, you know, I don't know, buy like plane tickets. They didn't want to go use it for groceries. So there's where you get MasterCard and Visa and all of a sudden Visa's doing the same shit. So as Bitcoiners, we can kind of, I know what I know what we're all screaming, but you know this is this is going to be an interesting story uh, story to watch. One, because if you didn't know, Kroger is pretty much the the they were the ones that made your, the supermarket you walk into today. The reason it looks the way it looks, the reason it has a meat counter, the reason it has a produce section, the reason it has canned goods, the reason it has a bakery, the reason it has all this stuff in one place, that's because of Kroger. What Whole Foods? What Albertsons? No. Kroger is the it, Kroger is the grocery store that figured out we'll just put a meat market inside our store and that way when people come to the store to buy the rest of their stuff, instead of them having to go to a separate place that has a meat market, they'll just go to ours. And there you go. Kroger is a lot more important than a lot of us actually imagine, especially to those of us who have never seen a Kroger in our lifetimes, except on news in news stories like this. Moving on. Oh God, the Quadriga saw Quadriga CX saga just gets it's just weirder every single time. This is a CCN article. Quadriga CX wallets found empty. Mystery of $150 million missing in crypto deepens. This is a story by Joseph Young. This was written yesterday. And let's get into this one. The cold wallets of Quadriga CX, once the largest crypto exchange of Canada, have reportedly been found to be empty. <laughs> no kidding. According to Bloomberg, most of the Bitcoin funds from the exchange's cold wallets were moved out in April of 2018, more than nine months before Quadriga CX revealed it had lost $150 million in customer funds after <clears throat> its CEO, Gerald Cotton, passed away with sole control of the company's wallets. Ernst & Young, a Big Four auditor, tasked as the monitor of Quadriga CX, found six cold wallets of the exchange used to store Bitcoin. Five of the six wallets did not contain any Bitcoin since April, and the sixth was used to transfer funds to the hot wallet of Quadriga CX. Quote, six wallet appears to have been used to receive Bitcoin from another cryptocurrency exchange account and subsequently transferred Bitcoin to the Quadriga hot wallet, 
Ernst & Young says. So where's the $150 million in missing crypto? Last week, an independent cryptocurrency researcher, James Edwards, claimed he had found the trails of the Ethereum holdings of Quadriga CX. The report curated by Edwards said that nearly $90 million in user funds held by Quadriga CX were moved to cryptocurrency exchanges like Bitfinex and Poloniex, possibly through the utilization of dummy accounts. Quote, based on the cumulative analysis of Taylor Monahan, the CEO of MyCrypto, Elementus, a blockchain research firm that was cited by the Wall Street Journal, and the author of this report, it appears that there is a high likelihood that there are funds that belong to Quadriga CX at Bitfinex and Poloniex. Prior to the report, researchers failed to find evidence to prove the existence of cold wallets owned by Quadriga CX. In January, Quadriga CX claimed that it had lost $150 million in crypto due to the death of its CEO. If that is the case, the monitor and the team should have already been able to identify which wallet addresses the CEO had control of before he passed away and confirm that they contained $150 million in crypto assets. However, as Ernst & Young report, recently reported, the cold wallets found to be operated by Quadriga CX either do not have the funds the exchange claimed to have lost or have shown irregular activities in the past several months. The findings of Ernst & Young support the claim of Tong Zhao, a programmer who lost more than $422,000 in life savings in the Quadriga CX fiasco. The programmer said that he filed for a withdrawal in October 2018, but never heard back from the exchange. It is entirely likely that the theory presented by the Coinbase team is accurate in that <clears throat> the exchange may have struggled with liquidity as the bear market hit the cryptocurrency sector in January. Coinbase CEO Brian Armstrong wrote, quote, Gerald Cotton reportedly died in early, uh, early December 2018, but complaints about withdrawal issues on Quadriga escalated in mid-2018. So maybe after about a month of debate, J December through January, management decided to cut losses and release a statement claiming that access to money was lost with CEO's death, end quote. As time passes... <clears throat> And the investigation of both the monitor and independent researchers continue on. The original story laid out by Quadriga CX, which Kraken CEO Jesse Powell previously described as unbelievable, is seemingly becoming highly unlikely. <clears throat> if all of the other cold wallets of Quadriga CX are also found to be empty in the weeks to come, then the narrative that the CEO passed away with sole control over user funds could be disproved. But... If the funds from Quadriga CX are stored on either exchanges, as some researchers suggested, then the funds can be recovered with the assistance of the exchanges in question. As Powell said, quote, this is the best hope that Quadriga CX clients have, that Cotton was keeping client funds in other exchanges. Unfortunately, nothing at Kraken. Hopefully, others are looking. Could be accounts were created under different names, so it might take some real digging to find, and that's going to do it for that that article from Joseph Young. Um, yeah, don't keep your don't keep your coins on exchanges, seriously, guys. Because I mean, if the bear market continues, then I would expect um, a, a copy and paste you know, situation to this story eight or nine more times. Mysterious deaths, you know, I just, 
you know, cold wallets that are empty, unusual activity, uh, one exchange keeping funds on another exchange. I mean, you know, what, what Jesse, you know, what Jesse is saying about the, the best hope that uh, Quadriga CX clients have is that the funds were actually kept on other exchanges. Hopefully those exchanges don't go down. I mean, I, I doubt Bitfinex or Poloniex would be in danger, but I mean, my God, it's like, I could almost see a domino effect here. I really could. It'd clean up a lot of crap though. It, it would. I, I, I would hate for it to happen because I don't want anybody to lose their money. But a domino effect of this type of thing happening again and again and again and again might be the only thing that works to push it into people's heads. Don't keep your coins on an exchange. Not your keys, not your coins. It's Andreas Antonopoulos said it the best. Not your keys, not your coins. These people are finding out the hard way. The pro the 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 real sad part about finding out the hard way is that this has happened so many times in the past that you didn't need to find out this way. Hell, you could have just read every damn news story under the sun about yet one more exchange going down the tubes to go, maybe, you know, maybe it's like one of the that cat reading the newspaper gif. Maybe I should pull my coins off the exchange and hold my private keys. Who knows? Anyway. It's real sad. Quadriga CX thing just keeps getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. Uh, last thing in the stack for this morning is going to be from CryptoSumer.com. Indian official tries to condemn Bitcoin by calling it a shiny toy, but ends up praising it instead. And this was published this morning by CryptoSumer.com. An advocate practicing in the Supreme Court of India wants the government and regulators to treat Bitcoin like a shiny new toy. Abraham C. Matthews said in an opinion column published Monday that the Reserve Bank of India, RBI, had no structure in place to enforce crypto regulations even if it wanted to. The lawyer reminded the central bank that it had no control over how the Bitcoin technology functions. And even when it comes to protecting investors, RBI could not warrant users any safety specifically in the event of where hackers steal their Bitcoin from regulated entities. Quote, since the transaction is not traceable, one simply does not know who the real perpetrator was, end quote. Supreme, or I'm sorry, the statement follows a year-long high-voltage drama between the Indian government and crypto startups over crypto regulations in India. In February 2018, Finance Minister Arun Jaitley <clears throat> said in a twisted statement that Bitcoin was not a legal tender in India. Two months later, in April 2018, the RBI issued a circular in which it ordered banks to stop offering services to cryptocurrency-enabled firms. The circular came into action in July 2018, following which the Indian crypto market saw shutting down of many startups, including ZebPay, which later shifted its crypto exchange operations to Europe. Talk about regulatory what was regulatory capture um or or the or or the the effects of regulatory capture people just move i guess that would be regulatory arbitrage um however a section of indian crypto startup refused to let go and dragged rbi to the supreme court kali digital ecosystems 
Private Ltd., which runs the exchange Coin Recoil, alongside three other petitioners, claimed that the Indian Central Bank was misusing its position against an emerging competitive industry. The hearing reached its seventh month, wow, this March, but the Supreme Court has yet to reach a decision. Meanwhile, Matthews recommended the Indian Apex Court not to get involved in the crypto RBI catfight. He explained that the RBI had already done its best, barring banks from offering services to crypto dealers. The central bank could not do anything beyond that, even if it wanted to. Quote, This is not to say that cryptocurrencies must be declared illegal. It must be treated for what it is, a shiny new toy. Let them play with it. However, giving it statutory or regulatory legitimacy is not just imprudent, it is foolhardy, end quote. Matthews is not the first public figure who believes in the untamable nature of Bitcoin. Some of the world top economies like United States, Japan, South Korea understood earlier that they couldn't control the cryptocurrency. Had they banned it, people would still exchange Bitcoin for fiats in, in an underground OTC market, as in the case of India. A working paper from the Finland Central Bank highlighted the point briefly. They realized that regulating Bitcoin was an impossible task purely because there was already a decentralized protocol that was governing it. Excerpts from their report, quote, Bitcoin is not regulated. It cannot be regulated. There is no need to regulate it because as a system, it is committed to the protocol as is, and the transaction fees it charges the users are determined by the users independently of the miners' efforts. Bitcoin's design as an economic system is revolutionary and therefore would merit an economist's attention and scrutiny, even if it had not been functional. End quote. The Supreme Court of India has orally directed the RBI and the Indian government to come up with a crypto regulatory structure in the next hearing, per the local media reports. Till then, crypto users are forced to keep playing with their shiny new toy away from the government's eyes. Wow, boy, the uh, Central Bank of Finland got that one nailed down. Dude, that is one hell of a quote. Bitcoin is not regulated. It cannot be regulated. There is no need to regulate it because as a system, it is committed to the protocol as is, and the transaction fees it charges the users are determined by the users independently of the miners' efforts. Uh, UASF. Bitcoin's design as an economic system is revolutionary and therefore would merit an economist's attention and scrutiny, even if it had not been functional. Damn, Finland. Hell yeah, brothers. You guys got your shit going on. <laughs> okay, so that's going to do it for that story. And that is also going to do it for your morning roundup. statistics brought to you by bitinfocharts.com and yes there's a dump two percent we all saw it we're not happy about it happens whatever i don't care i don't care anymore i don't care bitcoin is at an average price of three thousand seven hundred and thirty dollars with the low going to be over at simex at three thousand six hundred and ninety five and it looks like the high is going to be over at Ooh, yeah, Bitfinex at $3,808. Nice. 317,000 Bitcoin transactions have been made over the last 24 hours with about 13,000 transactions averaging every hour. 1.9 million Bitcoins have been sent over those last 24 hours. 
and for, I'll just go ahead and say that here. Seven point two billion dollars. That can't be right. Anyway, whatever. It's there's a lot of Bitcoin being sent, man. That's that is a lot of Bitcoin being sent. Um, average cent per hour is eighty one thousand Bitcoin. Wow, my God. Average transaction value is also high. 6.3 or 6.13 BTC or 22,862. The median transaction value has fallen really steeply over the last, uh, since last Friday. It's down to 0.015 BTC or about 56 bucks. Block time remains short at nine minutes and 48, sorry, 48 seconds, although it's not that short. Uh, reward per block. Uh, it's at 0.175 BTC is being collected uh, per block average as a uh, fees. And 25.32 BTC have been collected in fees over the last 24 hours. Hash rate has risen over the last 24 hours uh, by 4% to 43.8 exahashes per second. And the last time somebody committed to the GitHub repository was uh, the second. Hmm. Been, they've waited all of 48 hours before, or they've waited long. This is the longest that they've waited that I've seen in a long time before another commit uh, to the code has occurred. Ethereum, or rather across the board, Ethereum is at 126. Litecoin is at 46. Bcash is at 123. BSV is at 63. Ethereum Classic is at 4. And Dogecoin is at 0. 0.0019. And as usual, at 30,000 transactions over the last 24 hours, it's just crushing the living shit out of Bcash and BSV combined. Why? Because more people use a joke coin than they do the two chains that people actually seem to think are serious. Anyway, that's your vital statistic for the day. This is Marty's Bent for Saturday, March the 2nd, 2019, issue number 431, an eloquent eloquent explanation of Bitcoin. And he starts with two tweets that are from a, uh, uh, from a thread. Poor Uncle Heavybags at Heavybags says, biggest takeaway was BTC is equal to time. Today money is robbed from us from stagnant wages and inflation. Time is the ultimate unrenewable resource Money can be printed at will. Our time for fiat money is a joke. Time for a deflationary asset like BTC will be the new standard. Pierre Richard replies this. Monsieur drew a straight line between time and money scarcity that I intuitively knew but had never heard succinctly and clearly explained. It was a masterclass in sound money. Marty says, short rip on this Saturday morning, but thought it would be worthwhile to share this episode of Tales from the Crypt I recorded with Monsieur Mamadov last week. In it, Monsieur does an incredible job of succinctly describing Bitcoin as a vastly superior measure of our time when compared to fiat currencies. A great podcast to send to anyone uh, looking to understand the fundamentals of Bitcoin and sound money philosophy Final thought, what a world. Enjoy your weekend, freaks. 
And yeah, that that episode of Tales from the Crypt with Masir is really good. Specifically because of this issue where Masir's saying, look, Bitcoin represents time. It doesn't represent money. And if you if if that kind of like if that just kind of walks all up and down your ass because you're just like, what the hell is that? Go listen to the podcast. Uh, go to at TFTC21 and uh, say, yeah, TFTC21 and you'll be able to find it. Um, it's This is at TFTC21 on Twitter. And then there's a link to like in that bio, in, a, in that bio to the podcast landing page. Find the one with Masir. It was like last, I don't know, like I think I listened to it. I listened to it yesterday, so I I'm, can only assume he released it like a couple of days before that. Um, it's awesome. Masir just, it's, there's been a couple of people that have talked about this, but like Pierre was saying, just not as, just not this succinctly. And listen to it a couple of times because it will really blow your mind. When you're working for somebody and they're giving you a paycheck, they're giving you a paycheck in fiat. That fiat can be printed at will. Your time that you have on this earth, like if I spent a year to earn X amount of dollars, it's easy for them to print 2X amount of that same amount of dollars next year. But still for me to only get 1X and I still end up losing the same amount of time of my life. And I'll never get that back because there's not an asshole on this planet that can print me more time. But they can sure as shit can print a whole bunch of money. You can't do that with Bitcoin. And that's one of the reasons why we give a shit about what goes on. That's why we give a shit about stupid altcoins. That's why we give a shit about idiots like Francis Coppola ripping on, ripping on Bitcoin and praising Ripple. And again, we'll visit Francis a little bit later on in the show. Other than that, that is Marty's bent for the day. Torchlight today is cool as shit, man. It really, really is. So where do I want to start this one? Let's go ahead and start this one where it needs to be started. Uh, Ryan Radloff, at Ryan Radloff, tweets out, Wow, it happened. LN Trust Chain has sent Bitcoin from places like the most prestige American University Club, Harvard, to one of the largest, most regulated American financial companies, Fidelity, and now to Iran, a sanctioned country in the legacy financial system. That's right. Zaire Sadr got the torch. He's an Iranian national living in Iran, a sanctioned country. Couldn't stop it. This is one of the other reasons why we like Bitcoin and we give a shit about it. You can't stop it. No amount of whining, crying, making yourself look like an idiot in front of a piano is going to stop this. Either stop worrying about it and buy some or stop worrying about it and get the hell out of the way because you're going to get run the F over. Sorry, but that's just the way it is. And be, it, and, it, and the way it is is because of the second part of the LN trust chain. Sam Abbasi at Sam Abbasi, S-A-M-A-B-B-A-S-S-I, tweets out, LN trust chain torch has been passed from Iran 
to Israel, peace, no war. We just want gorm, sabzi, and matzo ball soup. Amazing work. That's right. That's right. Everybody forgets this. Only the citizenry of a country that buys in to the propaganda hates people of another country that that propaganda says we should hate. People that actually sit back and go, well, wait a minute. Has like, is there like a 25 year old guy that's making shoes in the streets of Iran? Does he really hate me? And do I really hate him? And then all of a sudden, once you break out of that propaganda, once you break out of being the mouthpiece, the one of 10 million billion or, or 10 hundred, I don't know, hundreds of millions of mouthpieces, clones for what said government, once you break out of that and start really thinking about the just the citizenry of the country we're supposed to hate. I'm, right now, I'm being told I should hate Russia. Okay, maybe I could be persuaded to not like the Russian government. Am I going to not like the 74-year-old Russian mother who's sweeping her steps in zero degrees weather in freaking Moscow? What do I have to hate her for? She's done nothing to me. She's done jack shit to me. And I've done nothing to her. So if I'm feeling this way, I guarantee you there's a whole bunch of people around the world that are sitting in governments or sitting in borders controlled by governments who are telling people that they should hate country X because why? Right? When that torch went from a peasant in Iran to a pleb in Israel, Basically, who was cut out of that exchange? Both of the governments. I love this. This is one of my favorite things that I've ever seen about the LN Trust Chain, which was developed by Hodelnot, or not developed. I mean, come on. It wasn't a development, but he thought it up, man. I mean, he leveraged the Lightning Network in, in the best possible way, and the best possible people are re-leveraging that idea to get further and further and further down the throat of government in general, in general. The minute somebody from Iran passed somebody in Israel the torch, it was basically telling Iran government and Israel government to F off for life. I would love to see this shit continue where we're passing toward, like every country, Somebody put together a list of every country's sanctioned country list, make a master list of the most sanctioned countries like ever, like the one that if I send, if I send a peasant in country X because it's on this list, that doing that pisses off the most governments at once. More, I'm talking about killing eight or nine birds with one stone. And do it repeatedly, time and time and time and time and time again until everybody figures out the citizenry of countries don't really hate each other. They don't know each other. They never met each other. It's the governments that are telling us to hate each other. That's the enemy. 
That's the enemy. So that will do it for light, uh, the torch life for the day. Oh, the daily train wreck. You get a twofer. I, I, you, you get a twofer. Uh, the the first the first train wreck of the day. Roger Caver. The greatest weapon against sinister forces is a well-educated populace. Now ask yourself why are our Bitcoin, Facebook, and Twitter so heavily censored? Okay, so Roger is purposely bringing the censorship debate that was basically coexisted with the scaling debate of starting around like, you know, late 2015. The scaling debate was kind of always going on, but it really got bad and started getting real or started getting really bad late 2015 and then just... I mean, went parabolic in in 2016 through 2017. It was just awful, just freaking awful. And all along, all along the way, was the censorship narrative by Roger kept talking about how our Reddit, the subreddit for for Bitcoin, or rather, our Bitcoin, um, how it was being censored. You know how many times I've been to Reddit since I've been a Bitcoiner. And I've been here for, I've been here since 2015. You know how many times, actually there's, there's two questions I need to ask. The, the question is how many times have I actually gone to Reddit's either RBTC or our Bitcoin? And the answer is a handful. And really I, the only time that I ever went to RBTC was just to laugh. And then I just stopped going to our Bitcoin because it's just a shit show. Just like RBTC is. It's, I'm, you know, I know, I know, I get it. I haven't been here as long as a lot of folks. I get it. But every time I go to either one of those subreddits, it's like, ugh. and to tell you the truth, I don't visit any subreddits. I don't, I'm, I look at Reddit and I'm like, why? I don't understand. I mean, I guess it's for, I guess it's for older folks. I don't know. I never go to Reddit. So anyway, the other question is how many times did I go to either one of them to actually engage and find information? Well, like I said, they're both shit shows. I can't find any credible information. All I can find is a bunch of people yammering about censorship or yammering about whatever shit coin of the week sucks. And and they all suck. I know the answer to that. I don't need, I don't need a subreddit to tell me that altcoins suck, whatever. So the train wreck with Roger here is that he thinks he's, he thinks that the the censorship issue on our Bitcoin is is relevant. It hasn't been relevant for a long time. Nobody cares because nobody goes there. Now he's going to start saying that Twitter is censored. And I wonder how that's going to play for him. I also wonder how he's going to manipulate this. Be prepared, people. Start watching Roger. See what he does. And see if what he has planned uh, to make us lose trust in in Twitter, uh, see if it works. Your other train wreck of the day is brought to you by our dear old mater, Francis Coppola. Where she says, 
Oh, well, let me just, actually, it's just one, it, it's a reply to, um, it's a reply to a tweet, which is a reply to her original tweet that says Bitcoin is a cult and she's retweeting Jack Mallers. Now, those of you who know Jack Mallers knows that's a solid dude, man. Jack Mallers is one of the most solid dudes ever. And we've got this blue haired old bitty using him as an example that Bitcoin is a cult. Okay. So she says Bitcoin is a cult. A gentleman by the name of Lyle Pratt writes back and says, I like it better when you're trolling the Ripplers. To which Francis replies, I've been trolling Bitcoiners for years. Ripplers make a change. Whoa, my dudes. <laughs> God almighty. Now, it was during this thing that I, I kind of tweeted out that, you know, I don't know why she's continuously wastes her time, you know, tweet, uh, tweeting about Bitcoin and why she seems to care so much. I mean, this just doesn't seem to be like in her, it's not that it's not in her wheelhouse. It's like, why, why does she give a shit? You know, why does she care so much? And that's when uh stop and decrypt started trolling me <laughs> with piano pieces of Francis. So um, I, in the editing process, hopefully I will remember to get you the audio of our dear mater, Francis Coppola singing you some show tunes so that you can feel the pain and suffering that Stop and Decrypt inflicted upon me. Eckerts on Greek bonds are nearly exploding. Outros and empties liquidity flowing. Wondering which of the lefties will win. These are a few of my favorite things. Deposits eroding and capital losing. Taxes evading and cronies are schmoozing. Yeah, it's going cheap by a job. And Terrible Joe Corner has a two for today, too. So, the first one is from our usual bad joke cat. Sometimes I watch football holding an Xbox controller just to screw with my mom's head. Okay, that's not really a joke, but it's still pretty damn funny. The 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 visual that it sets off in your head. Come on. I mean, that's that's while technically I don't think that this is actually a bad joke. It still has effect. And as part of humor, there's no reason in the world not to use this kind of tool set. And the tool set here is to be able to say a, a single sentence and light up a picture in somebody's head. What picture you light up is could be either humorous or, or pitiful or whatever. But still, that's it's a rhetorical technique that uses objects that almost everybody knows in a situation that you know, in this particular case, seeks to cause humor. And generally speaking, it works because I'm thinking of this dude on the couch, like working a controller while he's watching football and, and his, you know, his mom just like going, you just made him, you just made him lose or something like that. It's just, I don't know. It's kind of funny. Uh, the next one is from Big Brain. 
at I was brain six six six. Which day of the year is a command? March fourth. That is a bad one. Seriously bad. Bad. Bad joke. Okay, that's going to do it. I'm out. Uh, Gird your loins for the week, people. It's probably going to get weird. We've got that 2% drop in Bitcoin. We got Frances cranking up her rhetoric machine. We've got Roger saying that Twitter is censoring. I I can only assume that he's saying that Twitter is censoring Bitcoin content. Certainly isn't Twittering or uh, censoring any of my Twitter feed as far as Bitcoin content. So like I said, man, Gird your loins, boys and girls, because it's probably going to be a weird week. Um, With that, hey, I'll see you guys on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.